Hi everyone. In advance of this episode, I wanted to provide a content and trigger warning. Um, this is not um, a, an incredibly graphic episode by any means, but uh, I am sitting down and speaking with, uh, you know, a sexual uh, health researcher uh, who talks quite a bit about sexual violence. So though this is all discussed in a very educational and objective way uh, and not at all detailing any stories of sexual assault or sexual violence. Uh, that is the theme of this episode. Um, so wanted to give you a heads up just in case. Thanks. Hey everyone, it's M, and we're back with another episode of Sex Existentialist. And today I am excited to be joined by Janae Bloom, the individual behind the Instagram account at birdsandbeesask.me. Uh, that will be linked below for those of you who did not get that. Um, in addition to running the account, Janae is a doctoral student in the Department of Child and Family Studies at the University of Tennessee, Tennessee, Knoxville. She also holds a master's degree from the University of Tennessee and is a provisional certified family life educator. Janae specializes in sexual health and safety research and serves on the University of Tennessee's Title IX team. She also has presented her work at local, national, and international conferences, which is super cool, uh, and has been nominated for state and university-level awards. Uh, she's guest lectured at the University of Tennessee and at the University of Indiana Southeast and works to make research more relatable to audiences outside of academia. Um, and it is through Instagram, your amazing Instagram account, that mm -hmm. we connected. Um, hi, yeah. Janae. Hi. <laughs> super excited to have you on. Um, the work that you do is, um, you know, well, I should say both on Instagram and in your day-to-day -day is is not only interesting for my purposes as an educator and, and content creator myself, but also generally just really important. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know I just kind of read through your CV, so to speak, but um, I would love for you to share with our listeners, um, in your own words, a little bit about your background and what inspired you to begin content creating in the sexual safety and education space. Yeah, um, thank you. I appreciate the introduction. Um, so basically, um, so I've been doing I've been doing the account since August 2021, um, and it's it's continued to to grow and to evolve um, since then. I think I've I think I've had like three different logos since then. Um, <laughs> and so I started out. It was actually originally called Consent Is Respect um, mm -hmm. because I was mostly going to focus on. Um, like consent and like you know only focus on um, like my own like research that I was doing but clearly I have expanded since then um, and yeah. so as I noticed you know kind of a pattern in what I was posting on my on my account um, I was like okay I think my my handle is you know a little bit too narrow for what you know how I guess like comprehensive of an account I was developing. Um, so it's a, that's a good problem to have really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, it's kind of the story of my, my research, honestly, I started out as a consent researcher and then it just kept like, everything is connected. Like when you, it's like sexual assault is related to consent because you don't have consent, you know, when you're, right. you know, committing sexual assault and, then that's related to sexual health. And so finally, that's how I came up with the umbrella term of sexual health and safety. So that way, that kind of, you know, acknowledges 
all the different things that I do. Um, so that's kind of um, the evolution of it, but how I started the account. Um, so I'd been doing research related to sexual violence for a few years. Um, and by August 2021, and my brother-in-law actually suggested that I um, that I start a social media account as a means of sharing my research. And I, I was actually already sharing content related to my research, my personal Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I was sort of going that way, but like I, I hadn't had the thought to be like, oh, like I could put this on a professional account. I just, it was stuff I shared in my, my personal one kind of, kind of like how I think Facebook still kind of is, is you, you know, yeah. just share stuff that resonates with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's that's how it started, and like I said, um, it it's evolved a lot. Um, but I, I think I still like at the heart of it have basically the same goal in that um, you know my my goal is to disseminate credible sexual violence information and research, and you know also stuff about sexual health, just because there's so much information out there, and I feel like there is such um, you know like a, a gap between um, you know, between like research that comes out and actually getting that research, you know, to people. And even if you do have access to it, like it's not always like written in a way that's engaging and, you know, a lot of times it's behind a paywall. And so just yeah. trying to like fill up, um, fill up some of that, some of that space um, to, or to, to try and bridge that gap, I guess is a better way to say it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's amazing. You know, I, I, I felt, and you maybe saw this firsthand as, as well, you know, with the um, kind of creation of an evolution of the Me Too movement, I think obviously mm-hmm. the conversation around sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual violence in general, and consent became more at the forefront of mainstream conversation, but that, yeah. that didn't mean that education was being more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to get on Twitter and, you know, see people talking about it but dis- discourse especially on in in a place like twitter or even um on instagram and, and facebook and everywhere else doesn't always lend itself to being informative and and providing um you know foundational uh skills and and you know reframing the way that we think about things in order yeah. to keep people safe from those things so i i feel like sure. that is um you know at, at the heart of what's great about you know starting with um, obviously the the consent is respect account before you kind of transitioned it into into what it's become today, which is mm-hmm. like you said a much greater um, source of like widespread uh, sexual safety and and health um, yeah. education, which is awesome. You know, I think I um, not not that I came into my own content creation from an opposite angle by any means, but I, I um, you know have had a, an I you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I have had, I've experienced sexual trauma in my mm-hmm. past. And it was one of those things where like, I um, brushed it off for a really long time. I didn't address it, obviously, as, as many people don't, many women don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when I started thinking about making content, I started thinking about making a podcast years and years ago. Yeah. I was like, I want to talk about how sex is fun. Like, I don't want to think okay. about the, the, you know, the nitty gritty, messy parts of it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I am lucky in that I had great, um, you know, sex positive role models in my life. And I, right. I had the education. Um, yeah. And so for a while, I just wanted to breeze past it and think about the, you know, the fun stuff. And, and it, you know, it got to a point where I was like, I am, I am truly nothing without education. Like for mm-hmm. me as, as a person individually, um, yes, I think sex is 
is fun and and should be you know should be fun we should be able to laugh about it we should be able to talk about it and mm-hmm. um but at the same time there has to be um safety and education at the core of those conversations um there yeah. has to be respect there has to be boundary setting there has to be over communication and i i always call it over communication on the podcast cuz i think yeah. we've we've normalized what quote unquote communication looks like and it's still not enough. Right. So we have to encourage over communication, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great and you know, it's, um, it's not, I don't know. There there aren't that many, um, you know, folks in academia such as yourself who are making content, at least that I've found a lot of, a lot of folks are, um, are sex uh, researchers, but more on the sex coach or pleasure side of things. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so much more to um, to this space than, than just those things. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And also thank you for, for sharing your experience with me. And I'm so sorry that you experienced that. That's, that's awful. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you've able, I'm, I'm glad that you've been able to, to start processing it. It sounds like. Um, yeah, I mean, I spent I I always my listeners are rolling their eyes right now because literally every episode I was like I've been in therapy for three years. Um, no, I mean it took it took me a really long time to come to terms with the fact that I had something that needed to be processed yeah. with with a trained professional and like it changed my life. You know, addressing addressing that changed my life and um and honestly like I wouldn't be a sex educator had I not processed it. You know, I teach. Sure seventh through 10th graders, um, holistic, comprehensive sex education. And, um, yeah, and I love it. I mean, kids are a nightmare, right? But, um, (laughs) because they want to, especially post COVID, honestly, the pandemic changed their reaction to stuff. It's, I mean, really fascinating. That's a whole other, uh, tangent, but, um, you know, I, after kind of going through my own processing, I was like, education is everything. And, you know, I, I was, I was educated and I still couldn't, spare myself experiencing a, a sexual assault. Like yeah. I, I had all the tools in my tool bed and st- still didn't make me immune. Mm. Um, but if I can do something to to provide youth um, as many resources and understandings and, and skills as I can, like got to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I, I appreciate that. That's, that's not an easy job, but I mean, it, it does sound like it would be fulfilling. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, sure. I, do, I do find that presenting sex ed in an engaging but meaningful way um, to those youth can be fairly tricky. Um, and like you said, your content specifically seeks to, um, you know, bridge the gap between like relatable social media content and academia. Um, can you speak to um, or, or do you find that sex scholarship presents information in a way that the common person um, would struggle to really grasp, or is it, or is it mostly uh, the the inaccessibility in terms of finding it and being able to, uh, get, you know, access it without going through a paywall and so on and so forth? Yeah, um, that's a good question, and I, I, yeah, I, I would agree with what you said about it's it's not so much of like that it's hard for readers to understand. Like, <laughs> I think. Honestly, a lot of us, in way, in one way or another, I think we receive like almost an overload of information about sex. It's, you know, it's not always you know too accurate, um, and so it's not so much that it's hard to understand necessarily as it is more mm-hmm. like an accessibility issue. Whether um, you know we're talking about paywalls or um, you know, or even like how the article is written. Like I've only in the last couple of years started really feeling comfortable, like reading research articles. Um, mm-hmm. 
and so like not only that but like so there's historically been a pretty big gap between research and practice I think for a long time it was like like 17 years and I think it went down to like 15 years um Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Well, and even like as like a scholar, um, so generally it's, so a lot of people think it's best practice um, to not cite articles that are older than 10 years old, unless it's, um, unless it's like a really uh, like narrow like topic or if it's like a theory. And so thinking about like what the implications are for, for practice then. So like for it to trickle its way down to, you know, practitioners or like therapists or, you know, whoever, um, then, you know, like it's to the point that it's, you know, almost twice what would be considered, you know, too old to cite. Um, yeah. You know, according, depending on who you talk to. Um, I don't think that's like a universal thing. And like there, there has been some movement towards like publishing, excuse me, publishing open access peer reviewed work. But, it, you know, again, um, you know, going back to like, if it's not written in a way that is accessible to people and that's not to say like oh like you know people can't understand it but like especially when it's written by academics um you know and it's um there you know there, there's jargon used that you know might only be or especially like statistical jargon you know I yeah. think I think can make it you know less accessible um and then you forget like oh wait like we're actually doing this you know um to you know to to help people um and that that's not to say like um that like there there's malintent or anything but right. I, I think um it might make it harder to to actually implement the research like if there's um if there's you know that disconnect between um like the the academic you know writer to like the the public at large yeah, that makes sense. I, I think, I mean, you know, I took a, I took psych stats in, in college back, yeah. back in my day and it's probably like, all right, that knowledge is, is maybe enough, maybe yeah. enough for me to understand an article. Maybe not though. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's assuming like, you know, people are educated to a certain extent and also happen to take certain classes. So sure. um, yeah, but you know, it's, it's interesting when you, when I think about jargon and language, um, one of the things too, and um I don't know if, if this applies to academia at all, um, mm -hmm. but especially when we're talking about sex and um, and themes uh, that surround that, um, the language just changes so often. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, when I when I the curriculum that I teach to the youth that I work with, um, you know, the curriculum writers do their best to keep up, but like, right. <laughs> you know, almost every year we've got new words for certain certain identities or certain communities or, or, um, you know, even just the difference between saying like biological sex and sex assigned at birth. Right. You know, like it, it, it to some people is a small negligent change and to other people it's, it's everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough industry, um, when navigating yeah. through how to, how to accurately and respectfully pre present you know, information for, for the public. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I think about, when I think of and talk to others about sexual, sexual safety, um, it includes everything from STIs and unwanted pregnancy to harm done uh, when wholehearted consent isn't sought. Um, 
Can you speak to the the primary topics that you encounter? Um, I know obviously you you focus on um, you know sexual assault or sexual violence, and and mm-hmm. obviously Title IX is tied to that. But yeah. would love to hear a bit about maybe some of the um, subtopics or themes that come up a lot in your work. Yeah, um, that's a good question. So it well for one, so it, it really depends on how you define research. Um, so it's not so much. Um, so at least with my research, it's not so much about like casting like a broad net, um, just because with how much research is out there, if I were to say use like a, like a database to search like sexual health, like there would probably be like, you know, thousands of articles that I do often have right. to get very, you know, specific. Um, so for example, I've been doing some work um, with a colleague on like sexual shame, um, especially mm-hmm within a religious context was was part of it um and so you know there's stuff about that and so even like outside of like looking at actual journal articles I do get a lot of information especially when I post about like um like sexual health from places like the Mayo Clinic and the CDC and then oh like I will also post or I I will also pull like information that sounds you know, interesting when I'm like, I'm doing research and I think, ooh, like that would make an interesting post. Mm-hmm. And so I do that. But, and, and as you mentioned, like sexual safety is a, is a pretty broad topic. So I see a lot of info on like birth control and STIs and consent um, and like equality and sexual safety. So like, um, or even like equality and um, like, like birth control and how they're, you know, starting to come out with, or starting to develop, I guess, um, like the male birth control, like beyond, like condom use I feel like they've been saying that for so long <laughs> I'm tired yeah, of it, it, right yeah yeah I, I I think we have heard a lot about it um but so like that said a lot of the topics that I research are are nested which is why my account kind of kept expanding or at least the umbrella kept expanding since yeah. like I mentioned sexual assault is related to sexual safety and sexual safety is related to sexual health and so it's really hard to like to understand or to research one without like also you know bringing in the others so it can be a little bit overwhelming trying to figure out like okay where do I focus when like all of this other stuff you know is at play um so it's it's just kind of like a web of different interconnected things which is again why I adopted the umbrella term of sexual health and safety because I think that encompasses it nicely yeah, no, I I think that makes total sense. Um and I I totally get it. You know, it's easy to get down a rabbit hole. I feel like mm-hmm. the the internet is a beautiful place and that you can <laughs> uh, you can start researching and like discover, you know, eight different things of interest, but then, you know, yeah. inevitably I'm spending uh hours on um on what I thought was going to be one topic that ended up being several. And I'm sounds yeah. like maybe that's a little bit more like uh, your, your full-time life more so than it is mine, but yeah. Yeah. It's the rabbit hole is definitely very real. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Kind of within um, that greater umbrella, I'm, I'm curious about myths that you encounter in your work um, as it pertains to, um, you know, either either sexual safety is on a larger scale or or more specifically sexual assault, um, and how how can folks work to uh, combat the perpetuation of, of some of the myths and within those topics? Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm happy to answer both of those. Um, so I'll start with with the first one, and then we can move into the second one. Um, awesome. So I would say. And, and maybe this is maybe this is obvious, um, but rape myths are definitely very prevalent. 
Um, and those, and well, I guess it depends on who you talk to, but I would consider those maybe one of the more uh, like stereotypical, you know, myths. Like they've been around for a long time. Like they like, and now we have the Me Too movement where we're starting mm-hmm. to like point them out and say, "Okay, like this isn't right," and it's a little bit more overt than you know maybe it was in the past. Um, and so like this this refers to like um, to like um, like historical, but continuing to be pervasive ideas that like victim blame. Um, and so I think one of like the most common ones um, is the idea that say like women who drink and are raped were asking for it, and then men mm. who drink and sexually assault people didn't know what they were doing. Like, come on, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what the heck is up with that? Right, right, yeah. Um, and so I think I I think those are like they're starting to get addressed. Um, I think we still have you know a long ways to go in actually like eradicating them. Um, mm. But I, so, I mean, those, yeah, so I, I think those are definitely still, um, still a thing. And then um, something that I've been looking at more recently is the idea that white women are the only victims of sexual assault when in reality, like men and trans or non-binary folks also experience sexual assault. Um, mm-hmm. And then like also that like gender minority folks are actually um often more likely to experience sexual assault. Um, and so just like the need to, you know, expand the conversation. And so it's, I guess with that one, it's not, well, no, I guess that is a myth. Uh, Cause it's something that we think that's not true. Um, yeah. <laughs> but just, just expanding the conversation um, to include, you know, these, but like, you know, that men and, and people who aren't, who don't identify as women also experience sexual assault. It's not just like a quote, you know, woman's problem or whatever. Um, yeah. And then also like recognizing how like historically um like women of color have, you know, long been sexually abused um or like thinking about how um like black women and and Asian women have long been been fetishized and mm-hmm. you know experienced, you know, abuse and you know so, like systemic abuse um and so just expanding that conversation um you know to acknowledge all of those and I feel like that's that's something that I that comes up a lot in my on my account is sometimes I don't word things as well as I could when I post them and so then I have to go back and clarify like okay like there's this conversation has room for for everyone who has experienced sexual assault you know like trauma is not a competition Um, yeah there's you know there's room for everyone we just need to get better at like acknowledging that yeah no I I have um I've noticed on your account when uh, when I'm scrolling and I've seen you've made an edit or responded in the comments. And I think like it, you know, being a content creator requires um, bravery on that front, right? <laughs> Everyone has an opinion. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time uh, people's opinions are, are of course, valid and, and mm-hmm. important to continuing the conversation. I will say sometimes, sometimes opinions and comments aren't valid sometimes they're just people who are trying to just stir shit up but um but yeah no I mean I think it it is um it's for me at least from my perspective as as a content creator as well I think it's great to see another um individual utilizing social media to educate but at the same time being willing to receive feedback Mm -hmm. right like that's that's how we further the conversation and um yeah. and, and that makes sense. I mean it sounds it sounds like um 
either in, uh, you know, the research that you encounter or, or um, academia in general. It's, I mean, I can imagine at least that it's easy for us to read stats about, you know, violence against white women by men and leave it at that, call it a day when obviously right. we know, I mean, the numbers are there that um, other communities are marginalized and fetishized and, mm-hmm. um, you know, are, are victims and, and survivors of, of violence and trauma as well. And, and a lot of right. that doesn't, doesn't get the attention it deserves. So, right. you know, it, we're, we're, um, we're all adapting, right. And we're all yeah. seeking to expand the conversation and also highlight, um, highlight those communities who have been ignored for so long. Like you said, there are several right. that have been systemically, um, oppressed in, in a number of ways, but in, in when we're thinking about sexual safety, um, you know, the black trans community is, um, one of the most marginalized and that's important to highlight and, and give voice to those communities. So there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of wood to chop and like all we, all we can do is promote, I think, a, a furthering of the conversation. Right. Yeah. And it is, it is kind of an interesting line to walk because like statistically, um, at least the stats that I've seen, um, like most sexual assaults are, committed by men but not all um yeah you know like and so many men have experienced sexual assault and so I've been trying like lately especially I've been trying to be more um more careful in like the tweets that I share like I'm I'm Mm -hmm. trying to like avoid and this is one of the things that I'll say about trying to avoid perpetuating myths um is for me like red flags go up when I hear like absolute statements like all men are like this or or you know or whatever yeah, sure. and and that's not an invitation like well not all men um because you know that's not helpful um like yeah, I know yeah. that um but and 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 so I uh I'm trying to be better at, at reflecting that in the tweets that I post um from you know from other people and I'm especially a fan of like people who who write things like okay like too many men do this or some men do this because I, I feel like that better reflects like what I'm trying to well, what my aim is because like even though like it is like a big it, it is a I'd say like a, a systemic like patriarchal issue like I also don't want to like alienate like the male sexual assault survivors that might see my stuff so just trying to yeah. like navigate that has has been interesting <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it is, um, it's tricky, right? I mean, I've certainly mm-hmm. had some posts that have stirred up conversation or, or, um, you know, offended a group of people I didn't realize was going to be offended. Right. And, yeah. and then it's, um, it's all about learning and adapting. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, especially, um, you know, because of what the stats say and, you know, you want to, you want to present you know, at least on, on the quantifiable front, like numbers that are accurate, obviously, but it's, it's, um, you don't want to undermine the experiences, um, that aren't represented in those numbers either simply because they're, they weren't relevant to that particular study or because they weren't Mm -hmm. reported instances, right. We can only use the numbers that we have. So, um, right. Yeah. It's really tough, but, um, I, I mean, I admire you, uh, continuing to like, learn and grow and and be careful about the language i mean i think 
it's yeah, it's a big it's a big part of of what I do, especially man. I'm when I you know I'm teaching Gen Z mm. kiddos, and they are just <laughs> so on the internet. Um, <laughs> and I sometimes have kids that are, you know, like I we have like an anonymous question box, and I'll, I'll get a yeah. question, and um, I'll be in the middle of answering it, and I like haven't gotten to. Uh, I'm, I'm like explaining a concept and having gotten to like the jargon or the terms used to refer to that context. And mm-hmm. then a kid, a kid will raise their hand and be like, are you referring to, you know, like some other jargon, like, like jargony word. And I'm like, yes, I, I was referring to that community or I was referring to that uh, sexual practice and I just hadn't gotten to naming it yet. <laughs> so like, give me a second. Uh, um, yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I mean, great. Obviously, that they're that folks are getting information from the internet. Um, yeah, but it just means the rest of us have to keep up, especially, especially right. if we're not. I mean, I, I, uh, I am obviously on the internet, but I am sometimes a little bit slower. <laughs> no, that that makes sense. One, two, like also say that like it's it is tricky because like I do sometimes get like conflicting feedback. Um, mm-hmm. Like I think one example was like figuring out how to um how to refer to like like trans folks so for example and and not to say like you know this is this is the problem where it's too hard but trying to figure out like what um what name is you know considered the most inclusive or like respectful and so like sometimes I've um like if I've said like say trans woman then I've had someone say oh well you know, like, like putting trains in front of it is saying that they're not actually, you know, women, but if, if you, then I've gotten like, well, if you just say women, then you're leaving out trans women. So I'm like, okay, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to put this. Um, yeah. And so, um, and, and again, like that's, that's not to say that it's not worth, um, you know, like, like having that feedback and trying to implement it. It's just, it definitely, it keeps you on your toes, I guess, trying to, trying to figure out, um, you know, like how to, how to adjust in a way that's more, you know, accessible, um, you know, to folks with different identities. Yeah. Well, again, that's, I mean, part of the importance of what your account does, right? You know, if you're mm-hmm. reading a, a research article, the language will have been decided in advance and it will, it'll be steadfast and it'll either resonate with folks or it won't. And so uh, having the fluidity with social media and being able to adapt to the, um, the accessibility, even if the feedback is uh, ongoing and <laughs> conflicting, then yeah. I mean that's you know pros and pros and cons of of the discourse. And I think too, like the thing, um, the thing about you know the space that we're in is that everything's fluid, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, some people want to, some people use the terms pansexual and bisexual <laughs> interchangeably. Some people. Sure don't care. Some people feel really strongly about one and would like hate to be called the other. You know what I mean? It's, and so you're, you're, you know, it might be easy for me to say, and you know, I identify as pansexual might be easy for me to be like, oh yeah, I like lump myself in with bisexual people because we're basically the same. And like a bisexual person (laughs) might be like, absolutely not. We're, you know what I mean? It's, we're, we're, you know, it's all individual and fluid, which is uh, great and amazing. And part of, you know, the beauty of, life's journey that we all get to be on individually but you know together and it's also um it also can be a a minefield (laughs) yeah yeah it's it is it is definitely interesting um you know year and a half in like I'm I think I'm starting to get you know the hang of it um Mm -hmm. but um 
Yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um so through through uh my content and and through this podcast, uh I speak to a lot of folks in uh the BDSM and other kink communities about boundaries and consent uh and much of uh, my education work with with youth is grounded in healthy relationship foundations to pave the way for giving and receiving consent. Mm-hmm. Um, two very different sides of the safety and consent coin. Um, in you know sexuality and sexual safety academia, what are considered kind of like the top tips and tricks for individuals as they navigate sexual relationships? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I will. I will start with saying I don't know very much at all about like the like the BDSM and the kink community, so not going to speak as like an authority on that. But For like, sure, I, no worries. yeah, yeah. But I I can speak you know a little bit to consent. Um, and so like when I guess lecture on consent, my main message is to basically read the room, right? <laughs> in in sexual relationships, and at the end of my lecture, I'll say like, hey, like honestly, like I hope you feel like I feel I I hope you feel that you understand or know less about consent than you did when you came in (laughs) which Mm um is maybe you know counterintuitive to say but like by that I guess I'm trying to um to to steer to steer the conversation away from like like a checklist um like because consent is so complex like there can be you know, unwanted consensual sex, which sounds, you know, very oxymoronic, but like that could be, um, so like if you, so say you wanted to have sex with someone or what did I say? Non-consensual wanted sex. Okay. Um, so that would be, (laughs) they're easy to mix up. Um, so that'd be like, say you wanted to have sex with someone, but you didn't have a condom or you were worried that like your kids would hear you. So like, it's something that you want, but you're not consenting to because, you know, you're worried about different, you know, different things that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so conversely, there's also consensual unwanted sex is the other one. And so that's basically, like, I would say it's about the same as, like, sexual coercion. So, like, saying yes because, like, you're too afraid to say no or because, you know, whatever, because you're, because you just want to get it over with so they'll leave you alone. Um, and so, like... Mm-hmm technically I mean like maybe you said yes or you you know maybe they think that you consented but like you didn't actually want it you were just trying to like get them off your case right um and so clearly you know there's a there's a lot of complexity in here um and so like a a list of do's and don'ts won't do any good if we aren't fundamentally concerned about the other person's comfort and safety and so you can see how like if you can contextualize this within like like the hookup culture and there's um like you know hooking up with someone that you don't know like it it could very much be harder to say like negotiate like condom use because you know that can be um a tricky conversation for some people and in you know like someone might not feel comfortable um you know broaching like the condom conversation because they're worried that the person won't you know want to still sleep with them if they insist that they use a condom and so you can imagine that 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 dynamic would be different if you're in say a committed relationship um and so even just like like the relationship you know landscape is is likely gonna gonna change what consent looks like or like if you've 
you know, been together a long time and you can, you can read each other's body language a lot better than, you know, say, well, like just like a hookup. Um, so, um, yeah, so I guess it all just goes back to, you know, read the room. Um, and like, yes, like be, you know, well-versed and like, okay, like they don't have to say, they don't have to specifically say no, they can say like anything other than something that makes it clear that, you know, they, they want to have sex, then, you know, you need to stop and figure out what's going on. And if they don't want to anymore, then they have that right. Um, and just really, you know, looking outside of yourself, I think is a good start. Um, yeah. Cause you know, I, I think with like, with any list of like do's and don'ts, like you can be checking all the boxes, but just completely missing like the point of it, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. So I, I think, I think that's really where I would land is just, um, you know, really good, you know, communication, um, and really trying to be, you know, have the focus outside of yourself and, and making sure that the other person feels safe and, you know, checking in and, you know, what have you rather than like, this is what you do. This is what you don't do just because, you know, every situation is so different and, you know, I'm not, I'm not well versed in, you know, every different kind of, you know, sexual experience that someone might have. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think that's where I would leave that. Yeah. And it makes total sense, at least to me, um, for you to suggest that, you know, folks leave a lecture understanding consent less than the way they walked in. I mean, to me, that makes absolute sense because Mm -hmm. I think there's such a, uh, a societally accepted bar for what consent looks like that is Mm -hmm. too low. Um, you know, like, Oh, well, you know, they didn't push me away or they didn't say no, but it's sort of like, you know, if someone says, Hey, like, you know, should I, you know, go get a condom and someone's like, I don't know, like right. maybe like hard. No, like I'm not yeah. into it at that point. Like that, so, that person right. is not wholeheartedly enthusiastically down. So I am not going to go get a condom like, or I'm right. not going to go get lube or whatever it is, or however you have tried to initiate an, an interaction. Like that's, yeah. Um, and it's, it's tough. Cause you, you know, I, I agree. Like, you know, once you get used to reading, a particular person's body language and the way that that individual uh, communicates, it's different, but you cannot assume that every, you know, first sexual encounter with someone you're going to just know. Right. Right. Yeah. One, two, like, uh, I don't know if you've noticed like a really, I think common, um, I guess like objection that you hear is like, well, like it's awkward to ask for consent. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you hear that, yeah. but like, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I figure you might, you know, talking to like high school students and, you know, junior high, or yeah. whoever you talk to. Um, but if you think about it, like there are lots of ways that we do ask for consent in everyday life. So like, if you need to borrow a pen, you don't just take your friend's pen, right? Right. Like, you say, Hey, like, is it cool if I borrow your pen or, you know, asking for someone's phone number, like you don't just like take their phone and figure out what their phone number is. Like you ask them first and like, and we consider that to be totally normal, but for some reason we view, you know, asking for consent during sex as, you know, killing the mood. Well, you know, if someone doesn't want to have sex with you, that's definitely going to kill the mood. Like sexual assault <laughs> is bad, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not all that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so yeah, I, I think the focus is just, I know that's like on like the wrong thing or, okay, it, mm. it definitely is. Um, but like just the fact that like we, 
you know, we, we readily participate in consent and, you know, in other ways. And, um, and I, and I've seen posts that, you know, that acknowledge this, that like consent needs to start or like the culture of consent needs to start way before, um, like it's referring to sex. Like we need to, you know, like, like ask kids like, Hey, like, do you want to hug? Like, can I have a high five instead of just assuming that, you know, they have to, they have to hug you or even, um like you know people that say like oh I'm a hugger and then like launch themselves at you and you're like hold on I I'm not a hugger please <laughs> yeah. let's just let's fist bump or something um totally I mean I ask every all of my adult <laughs> friends to this day if I can hug them like right it's like I can see them once a week or several times a week and I'm still like oh my gosh hey it's so good to see you can I hug you because yeah. people people's moods are not consistent every day as yeah, well like well, even yeah, I, I'm guessing, well, maybe maybe you haven't, but there's a video that we uh, show to all of our youth um, uh, that's like the consent is like tea video. Have you mm-hmm. seen this? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that's, uh, you know, we we do like very silly non-sexual role play activities where it's like, yeah. hey, can I borrow five dollars? And, <laughs> you know, and, and also getting right. them familiar with the fact that you can say no without a justification like yeah. you just not wanting to is a totally fine reason to say no it doesn't have to be like no I am on my period or no right, I have right. a headache like it can just be eh, no I'm good thanks but um the, yeah. for for folks listening who have not watched uh the consent is like a tea video um there's a British version and an American version mm. I am biased towards the British version <laughs> um Folks listening know my husband is uh, is English. Oh, I love yeah. that accent. I'm not gonna lie, but uh, <laughs> but all all of the versions are great. Uh, there's like ones that are uh, uh, have swear words and ones that don't. So I keep that in mind <laughs> of sharing with kids as well. But um, yeah. like adults should watch it too because it's great. You know, like if you make someone a cup of tea and then they don't want it, don't force them to drink it. If someone's yeah. asleep asleep people don't want tea (laughs) like there's so many so many great little examples of all of the ways in which consent um can be uh refused or or withdrawn right because consent can be taken back at any point but um uh another thing too is I, i don't know about you but growing up i was always sort of like told that if a boy asked if he wanted to kiss me he was like cringy hmm interesting like like it's like oh it's so cringy when guys say can I kiss you and I I never felt that like yeah like I love a consent moment always have but yeah. um yeah like I remember people I, I don't know I, I guess there's something about the like nice guy trope and like mm. the unsexiness of that <laughs> that got linked to like getting asked to be kissed or something and I was like I I think it's pretty hot personally <laughs> like, like someone checking in on my boundaries is like I don't know, I'd say a turn on personally, but that's just me. <laughs> sure. But it's um yeah, it's tough, right? Because like some of this stuff is um societally conditioned about right. like what's sexy and what's not sexy. And right. um I'm here to tell everyone that checking in at any point is sexy. And you know, you mentioned this too, like there are different ways to ask for consent or mm-hmm. check in during that are hot. Like you can yeah. you can incorporate it into dirty talk. And then if someone says mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I don't like that. Then, great. Now you know, and you can change your behavior or stop. Like, right? Yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's to me it seems like such a simple thing, and it's something that I feel like ever a lot of people still really struggle with, um, which is unfortunate because it's like one of the small things we can change right. like, in our day to day. 
Well, and I, I've seen a while ago, I saw a tweet that really resonated with me and I can't remember exactly what it said, but the, what the idea was like, okay, like before we can really master consent, we need to, um, I guess like unlearn entitlement to sex, um, mm-hmm. which can make, you know, it can make saying no and like leaving it that way hard because, you know, if someone says no and then their husband or whoever like stops talking to them because they're upset well like what are they supposed to get from that you know so like it makes it harder to actually you know say no and honor you know your own boundaries um and of course like there are different ways to say no you don't have you don't have to straight up say no like as you mentioned but you could even say like um you know not right now but how about we do this or even Mm -hmm. now's not not a good time but you know ask me in an hour or something and so you know, that might be easier to both, um, you know, say and to hear because it's not just because I, I think we I think we do have a hard time just saying no, because like, I don't know about you, but like, I, I do feel kind of rude when if someone's just like, hey, can you do this for me? And I'm just like, no. And I and I don't give a reason. Um, but even if, you know, you, you couch it in language, like, sorry, that doesn't work for me. Um, or sorry, I won't be able to help. Like, I feel a little bit more comfortable, like, not getting into details when I say that because it's not just yeah. no. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, that for me is, I, I think, um, makes it a little bit more palatable to, you know, to honor and set boundaries because it doesn't feel quite as, as harsh. And I think especially, like, as, as a woman, like, you're socialized to not be as, like, direct, or at least me personally, maybe other people have had different experiences, but I think that does contribute to, you know, how I feel about boundaries and, and all of that. So figuring out how to like, you know, be at peace with my, my boundaries, but also trying to do it in a way that, um, that, that lands well with me and hopefully, you know, lands with the other person as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, I mean, I, I totally get what, you're saying about the the role that different people uh, in our cases women you know how we're conditioned to behave in certain situations and like it was e- an easy fear of mine too for a long time to be like mm-hmm. if I don't if I don't do this thing like am I is my boyfriend gonna break up with me or mm-hmm. like is this person not gonna text me back you know it, I mean yeah. there's an anxiety about people pleasing um, right. and like you know for me I think the one of one of the things that was appealing about my now you know life partner is that mm-hmm. um I was never ever in a situation where I had to say no to him because mm-hmm. he was um he was so mindful about um where I was in a situation and we have a really I mean you know we're compatible in that we can meet halfway mm-hmm. in terms of reading each other's body language in terms of verbally communicating and and I've I've personally never had to be in a situation where I had to say um you know, no to him and then like ju- feel like I have to justify it, you know, whereas mm-hmm. like, you know, I could have had the flu with, you know, one of my high school boyfriends and he'd be like, so we're not going to have sex or are we having sex? And it's sort of like, you know, situations like like just absolutely insane situations where it's sort of like, no, yeah. I'm not like, absolutely not. But like, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's so it's it's so nice to find um a partner partners who can uh in fact read the room and like take the time to get to know you well enough to where you aren't put in a position to say no and i yeah. think uh for folks who are are in a situation you know romantic or sexual or, or whatever that looks like that 
requires you say no a lot in a way mm-hmm. that uh, is not working for you. Like that's something to um, to to be a little introspective about as well. I think. Yeah, and I to go back to briefly to the the tea video thing. I would be interested to hear what his take on the tea video is because like, I read something yeah. a while ago um, that talked about and. I could be totally wrong. I don't know very much about like British culture. Um, but it's like the fact that like tea is like such an ingrained or like an embedded part of their culture that I've, I've heard that it's like considered like rude to not have tea if someone offers it to you. And so if that is the case, I'm curious like how, how like the tea video lands with them. Um, that's super interesting. I mean, truthfully, yeah. I drink more I drink more tea at home than he does. So it might <laughs> okay. be like different depending on uh, what region you are. Like those cultural okay. differences vary quite a bit. So if I, I'm maybe I'll ask his uh, my mother in law or hmm. his grandma who are a little a little bit more old school. Um, yeah, that's yeah, super no, interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. And I like I, I do think that like I, or I, I can imagine that like like cohort. Um, I think you know, could potentially play into it. I think even like, like thinking about like, like my mom, for example, is very, you know, very, very proper. And like, she would help me like set the dinner table every single night. And like, and the, you know, the glass would, you know, have to be on one side of the plate and the knife would have to be, you know, flipped a certain way. And then for me, I'm like, "Mm, well, I guess I'll be using a fork tonight. And (laughs) that's all. Right. Um, Well, and you know, plate and whatever. Um, Right. (laughs) But, um, and so I, I think even just like like the, the cultural differences between like different you know age co- cohorts I think mm-hmm. can definitely you know inform how we how we see different things. So I, I think yeah I think it would be super interesting like if you asked like him and then you asked like his mom and then like his grandma and even like like if there were say like gender differences like yeah um, like he has a he has yeah. a sister who's just a couple years older than him like what's her yeah. take on it? Yeah, I think that would be really fascinating. Well, maybe I'll DM the whole fam and I will get back to you on on the feedback that I've received from my English in-laws. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. I will do that. They'll be like, why are you sending us a video? But I mean, they they know what I I do. I mean, it's not my full-time job to work with youth, but they know that I do it. on, yeah. on the side and I think they'd probably anyway one <laughs> one one extra thing for them to eye roll about <laughs> um so uh one one quick other uh theme here I say quick it's sort of sort of a big theme that I want to mm-hmm. um get to is uh you know sex um sexual trauma uh or sex in the wake of trauma uh comes up a lot on this show um mm-hmm. And I, you know, I mentioned that the BDSM and kink communities, and the reason that that comes up so much is because obviously the BDSM and, and other kink communities have um, really strict, uh, or can have really strict rules about communication and creating boundaries. Mm-hmm. Which, um, and and there are of course folks, and you probably are aware of this as well, who um, learn to reclaim their sexuality post trauma through things like BDSM. Right? Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. the the kink communities are there outlet for safe sexual practice. Um, okay. and, and, um, you know, that's not everyone's experience. Um, sure. but it is certainly a, a relatively common story when I talk to folks about kind of the intersection between, um, 
various kink and fetish communities and, and sexual trauma. But um, I would like to discuss, um, again, quote unquote quick, uh, the, idea, the idea of being trauma informed when talking about mm. sexual safety and education. Um, yeah. And if possible, I'd love uh, for you to just provide a brief little definition of uh, trauma informed, what that means. Yeah. Um, so speaking, you know, just from, I guess, like my opinion, I would say like that a decent synonym for trauma-informed could maybe be like person-centered um, mm. and not to like, you know, marginalize like the trauma, but like just really, you know, taking into account what like the other person is, you know, comfortable with um, and like really because like it's not that it's not important to be you know person-centered you know with someone that maybe hasn't had like an abusive experience but just really you know making sure that you are extra like acutely aware of what they're comfortable with and helping them feel like they you know like that their boundaries are honored I think especially would be important um like seeking to validate as much as possible um and like also um I guess like outside of like like a sexual relationship so like um and and they probably already know this but like if you know someone is like a therapist or psychologist or a sex coach or whatever that would be you know viewing someone as like a human being right or like not just a client or a patient or someone who's experienced violence so again like viewing them, you know, holistically as, as a person, um, as much as you can. I will give, give a disclaimer and say, like, I don't recall that this information was specifically, um, contextualized within, like, like a sexual context. So this is just kind of information that I know about, like, being trauma-informed and trying to, you know, apply it in one of these situations. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Does, does the idea of being trauma-informed dictate your scholarly research or the way that you think mm-hmm. about conveying information uh, to folks online? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely try to. Um, I, I feel like one of the most common conversations that I have with people is, so I, I commonly get mistaken for like a clinician or like a therapist, <laughs> like be, because like I, I try to be trauma informed. And so like, because like I talk about those topics, I think sometimes um I'm, I'm probably not clear enough that like I don't have clinical training um and so I work to um like I guess regardless of that I try to um you know position myself in relation to say like um like the population that I'm researching which I just crossed mm-hmm. my streams um <laughs> I started out with research and talking about Instagram um but I guess they're connected um <laughs> but then like also like I also try to to seek out like expertise in areas that I'm not familiar with, or like if there's um, if there's a way to um, incorporate and honor and compensate, you know, someone else's experience. Um, for example, like I'll have people reach out to me and say, "Hey, like we're looking for um, you know uh, sexual assault survivors for our thing. Like we'd like to interview and like." I personally haven't experienced that. Um, I can, you know, talk to you if you want, but like, it sounds like, you know, someone else would be a better fit for you. Um, and, you know, I think just trying to be, um, trying to apply what I know and be authentic without like overdoing it, I guess, um, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, it absolutely does make sense. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, I have folks who slide into my DMs too and are like, hey, are you a sex coach? Like, can I book time with you yeah. to talk about? And, I, you know, yeah. I'm not a coach, right? I'm an educator. I'm, I'm happy to provide education and relevant resources mm-hmm. to help you uh, learn and and maybe that'll lead to some self-discovery, but like I can, I'm not qualified to sit down with you and talk to you right. about your individual sex life or your relationship to your body. Like I, I can only give you the facts. And so, right. you know, it's, it's differentiating, um, those, those boundaries, mm-hmm. right. And, and how you convey information. But, um, you know, in your mind, um, how can individuals work towards being, mindful of of trauma when talking about sex, either in a, an educational context or not. I know we've touched about this a little bit already on kind of how you and I both aim to do that, but, um, you know, in, in the broader public. Sure. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so I'd say that it really depends on, like, who you're talking about, you know, especially because people have different levels of, um, of comfort when, when talking about sex or, like, even saying, you know, the word sex instead of, you know, something like intimacy. Um, right. And, you know, and many people, you know, also considering that many people have, you know, considered sexual violence. Um, and so, for example, like I think of, um, I think of how um, like Elizabeth Smart, you know, who's, you know, famous for, you know, being kidnapped and sexually assaulted. Yeah. Um, like she had literally had to sit through like a sex ed class um where the teacher compared people like you know particularly particularly girls um who had premarital sex to chewed up pieces of gum um which right yeah i'm just like so awful um but and so like yeah yeah (laughs) so she she said like like after she was kidnapped and raped um especially like the first time she remembered like the chewed like the chewed gum lesson and then she's um and so like she had that in her mind was I think she said something even like well what's the point of being like even if I was rescued like I'm that chewed piece of gum now and like you don't you don't keep chewed gum around you throw it away um and so you know even though you know I'm guessing the teacher was you know trying to teach a meaningful lesson and you know be hopeful but like it ended up having like such serious consequences like like literally like potentially life-threatening consequences if she didn't feel like it was even worth, you know, trying to be rescued. Um, yeah. And so, you know, of course, so then uh, fear-based metaphors such as um, like comparing premarital sex to chewed gum um, are going to be like inappropriate regardless, um, but they're, you know, particularly damaging to those who have experienced um, sexual abuse, which is actually, unfortunately, like a lot of kids, um, yeah. I think like one third of kids who are sexually abused are below the age of 12 and the other two thirds are between ages like 12 and 17. Um, yeah. And then you think about like when kids like often get the bulk of their sex, of their sex education, that's middle and high school, which is basically the same time. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, um, and part of, part of why I work with youths is, is um, for, for those reasons right I mean Mm -hmm. like I I have um you know parents parents disclose certain information to us as the educators before we work with the students Mm -hmm. and of course uh all of that is held uh confident confidential and they tell us that also because we are mandated reporters Mm -hmm. um which I know you are as well and so it's um you know we have to make sure the kids are really clear on um 
on on that before speaking with us. But at the same time, I don't, you know, if a kid references uh, an instance of sexual trauma or abuse, um, you know, if a parent hasn't disclosed those things to me in advance, then I'm, you know, a mandated reporter. So, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I've had, I've had kids in my class who were, you know, 13 or 14 and their parents had disclosed to me that they had already experienced, um, you know, instances of, of sexual harassment or mm. even uh, I had one case of sextortion, uh, like being like, you know, blackmailed for, for photos and videos of mm. themselves without clothes on. I mean, hor- horrible, horrible things. Yeah. Especially yeah. now that people are on, uh, on the internet, like there are, right. the risk is, is not just, um, you know, the, the more obvious, uh, physical violence, mm-hmm. but, but some of those other, um, you know, cyber attacks, so to speak right, as yeah. well. And so, um, but, but yeah, I mean, thinking about the way that we, um, reframe their understanding of, of, um, sex and, and their role in it or, or lack thereof is, um, you know, something we try to, try to cultivate in, in the youth. And it's, um, it's tough. I mean, I think like, um, I, for me, and I don't know if this is something you've encountered well, just socially, like, um, you know, I try to discourage, you know, some of my more uh, ostentatious or verbose friends from making like certain jokes in front mm. of uh, people they don't know. Like, yeah. you know, and again, I mean, no, I'm not, you know, no one should be telling like homophobic, transphobic or racist jokes. Like, I'm not right. saying that's fine in any context, but even even just like, I don't know, like a dick joke, you know, <laughs> like. So, mm-hmm. so that could be that could be triggering to someone like yeah. you know if you're if you're in a room full of your four best friends and you know no one's going to be offended or triggered or uncomfortable like fine go for it have at it like your humor is your humor whatever it's not mm-hmm. my business but like um, there are ways to be um, conscientious of po- people's potential experiences in in any yeah. given situation obviously we cannot take into account every single person's entire life experience, but I feel like we can do our best to be mindful of those things. Right. Yeah. And even like, honestly, I feel like, you know, one of the most important things that I learned, maybe like even the most salient is like, I, I, unfortunately, I think I will always have blind spots just because, you know, there's going to be people that have, um, you know, different experiences than I have. And so like, as much as I try to, um, you know, take everything into account, like, unfortunately, there seems to always be something else that that pops up that I didn't, you know, I didn't consider. And so I think, you know, the best thing I can do is, you know, continually work on how I respond to feedback and how I can implement it. Because like, there, unfortunately, there's, you know, there's always, I think, going to be something that I, that I mess up and like, it's, it, it's still, you know, a bummer when it happens and I try to figure out how to address it. Um, and I wish that didn't happen, but like, yes, unfortunately I make, I make, <laughs> I make mistakes, right? Like it would be great if I didn't, but so I, I think that like, because there's, you know, there's, there isn't a way to, to be perfect. Um, right. Well, I, you're human, right? You're, right. you're a human just conveying information right. in the best way you know how, you know? Right. right. No, no, exactly. And so, yeah, and so I think that's kind of where I landed. Is you know, as as much as I as much as I tried to be mindful, like there's you know gonna be something, and then I have to 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 regroup and you know figure out how to address it, and just you know continue to you know evolve in response to the feedback that I get as best I can. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really think that that's, um, that is all that you and I and every other, um, individual trying to share out relevant, um, you know, reliable, you know, sex ed and sexual safety information. I mean, that's, that's the best we can do. And we're, we're learning and growing just as much as everyone else. Yeah, that is for sure. (laughs) Um, Janae, it's been really fun chatting with you. Um, you know, I, it's when I, when I talk about sexual assault and sexual safety, obviously it is not as, um, you know, like fun and cheerful as, you know, people want to hear about, um, you know, ass play or anything else, but like, (laughs) this is so important. And, and, you know, as I've said on the podcast before, like this is, um, you know, part of, understanding this topic is part of my origin story, so to speak. And I think it's so important to talk about and to remind people that it is a really big part of, um, you know, the, the conversation about sex is sexual safety. And, um, you know, it's not often that I get to chat with someone in academia versus, um, a sex coach or uh, a sexologist or, or uh, a sex therapist. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share a little bit about, um, about you and your account and, um, you know, all of, all of the work that you do. Sure. No, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for folks um, listening in, be sure to follow Janae's account on Instagram. I will link it in the show notes below, but it is at birdsandbeesask.me. Um, you get it. Birds, bees, questions answered. Boom. There you have it. <laughs> we'll catch you guys later.